Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey guys, it's me, Lisa Stanley, your Rentienta. And on today's episode of What Goes On Around Here, we're chatting it up with the one and only Mary Lou Henner. An actress, producer, radio host, author, mom, wife, just an all-around fabulous gal. There's so much to talk about, so let's get to it. Hi, Mary Lou. So much to talk about, but I want to start with where you were born in Chicago. You're Greek, and you came out of the womb basically a star. I don't know about that. (laughs) I was the third child. Well, you know, I was the third girl, and it was like they were expecting a boy, so I had to be something. You know, you know what I mean when that happens. Are the other and, are the other kids in the in the business? It, well, my oh, there are six of us. I'm the third of six. My oldest sister is a, a very successful photographer. My second sister is a therapist. Um, uh, my youngest brother writes all the books with me and produces with me. My other sister was in finance. Uh, she was um, the, the fifth child. And my fourth brother, I mean, the one in the fourth position, who's like a year younger than I am, we're not sure what he does. You know, there's one in every <laughs> We're still waiting. <laughs> you got to have one in every family. I know. So, I always say there, there's a Fredo in every family. <laughs> so you, Exactly. So you don't have to, uh, I don't have to ask you this, and that is if you're close with your family, Clearly, you are very close. Crazy close. Crazy close. I mean, my family at Christmas, we we get together. We like set aside that time for five days this year, you know, and we all take a different event. My sister uh, organized a a food crawl last year. We did it. All the Chinese different, um, you know, the the different types of Chinese cuisines. So we went to eight restaurants in Los Angeles, and we had a dish there, a dish there, a dish there. Everybody was so sick full. So this year we went to five and it was an Anthony Bourdain crawl. Ooh. And it's so much fun because you start in the morning and you all get together and it's the first day of our holiday together. So it's a really bonding and it doesn't have to be at anybody's house where there's a mess or anything else. So that's always fun. And that is I do a great all the idea. Christmas. Isn't that a great idea? Oh, I love that. I'm going to steal that idea this year. <laughs> you can take it. It's so much fun. They'll love it. But the thing that that's really kind of special that we do at Christmas is that, um, In 1983, so a long time ago, I started the family, the Christmas Henner, the Henner Christmas Family Survey. And it's sort of a, you know, I collect questions from everybody or from a group of people, like maybe we'll just do the younger kids or whatever. I collect questions that go on the survey, and then there's a section where where you say, uh, you know, this past year, your favorite books and movies and magazines and TV shows and, you know, just a little profile on where you're at. And then, you know, inexpensive gift ideas for your secret Santa. Such a great idea. I know. So I I'm love making it. it all into a book. Don't so I, <laughs> <laughs> I won't, except for the millions that are listening to this. Uh, yeah. But I did want to ask, when did you actually catch the acting bug? Was it when you got on stage with your dad at a father-daughter breakfast? Or... You did your homework, girl. <laughs> You're amazing. <laughs> or was it from your mom, who I understood ran a dance school for 20 years? She was... my. My parents both came from, you know, they were first generation. My father was from, his parents were from Poland. And his, both my parents lost their mothers when they were seven and eight years old. So they didn't have like a great childhood with a mom influence. And so they sort of were very scrappy. But they found each other and got married. My father always said they got married at an early urge, you know, because they were, <laughs> they were young when they got married. But they waited five years to have kids, which is interesting. But they created this cultural center in our neighborhood 
My father was in the automobile business, but my mother always wanted to be a dance teacher. So she had, we had a fake garage. It was like a double garage, maybe like two and a half cars may have been able to fit in it. And we had 200 students between the ages of two and 80, including the nuns who came over for stretch classes. Wow. (laughs) And, And we all taught dancing in our family. And as soon as you were 14, you were given a class. So, you know, we all taught. My brother, my youngest brother, Lauren, the one who's the Fredo? Producer. Fredo? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not Fredo. The other one. The other one. The other one. For sure. Oh, he's going to kill me. Tom, my brother, Tommy, better never listen to this podcast. You know, no. We call him that in jest, Tommy. I know. Oh, my gosh. No, but my brother, Lauren, he, um, when he got a class, he was 14. He was the baby of the family. And all of a sudden, the mothers were calling and saying, uh, is my daughter supposed to wear this for the recital? And we said, well, what, is, what, what costumes? And it's like, well, they're doing, you know, like, mine hair and uh, big spender. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, of course, he was the Bob Fosse of the neighborhood because he was 14. That is know. so cool, though. Come on. But, He's great. Oh, he's a fabulous dancer. Everybody in my family dances. When we get together, we all do kind of a time step. It's really kind of fun. We always do it. But um, you lost your parents at a young age, yes? Yeah, very young. Well, yes. My father died uh, when I was 17, and uh, he was 52. He had a massive heart attack. And my mother passed away when she, she died when she was 58 of complications from arthritis. I mean, my mother was literally teaching dancing in December, went to bed with the flu in January, had, um, uh, it was a brutal Chicago winter, so she went into the hospital with the flu. She had her leg amputated in April, and she died in May. And that's what started me on the whole health journey. That's when you gave up your sugar and dairy, what, 30 uh, years no, ago? No, not then. Not then. That no? Was, well, it, was, it started like a, a, a few months later because, well, what happened was, I had this epiphany when I was watching my mother in the hospital. First of all, I realized, and I hate to say this, doctors, it's really a crapshoot about what they know. No kidding. You know, and the more you research you do and you say, well, do you, what about this? And I go, okay, well, maybe we'll try that. You know, I, I mean, at that age, I was like, well, what? I was 25, and then she passed away when I was 26. I, just, I had just turned 26. And she... Um, and I was flying back and forth to audition for Taxi, which was really pretty incredible. It was like the best of times, the worst of times. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, and so, but I had this epiphany that, wow, her body is still trying to make sense of all the craziness that they're doing to her, whether it's, uh, you know, having her plugged into 12 different things or draining her lungs or putting her on this, like, hamster wheel and, and drilling holes into the side of her head so they can pull her head out of her spine to give her some kind of relief. And, oh, it's terrible what my mother went through. Terrible. Brutal. Brutal, brutal. Mm. Horrible. And so, you know, it was really, so this epiphany came and I said, if she gets out of here alive, I'm learning everything I can about the human body and saving her life. And if she dies, I'm learning everything I can about the human body and saving my siblings and me. And you did just that, right? Well, pretty much. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. I don't, I take, take credit for everything, but I definitely was not on the path of health, but I had to make sense of their deaths. So, you know, we're going to get into all of that with your books and all of that. But uh, first, I I want to just continue on and let people just know a little bit how you came to be the Mary Lou Henner. Uh, You got involved in local high school shows, also in college, right? Well, yeah. Well, see, my my family was not only this cultural center because we had the dancing school in the in the backyard. My mom also ran a beauty shop in the kitchen with uh, twenty five women from the neighborhood who would come over and get their hair done. Oh my gosh! And the house I, you walked in and it it didn't even look our kitchen didn't it it looked like a hair salon. It didn't look like a kitchen because we had instead of a refrigerator that was in the basement. Our instead of a refrigerator we had a blue hair drying chair. <laughs> Seriously, so we, you know, and and you know how like those shampoo bowl, uh, shampoo things that you can lean back. Yes, yes. There was that kind of chair where you could lean back, and there was also, you know, how shampoo bowls have those. I don't even know what you'd call it with the little ridges. Yes, yes, yes. That put- was also in the kitchen. Oh. So that was my mom. You know, it wasn't enough for her to be a dance teacher. She had to do something during the day before the kids could come or the adults could come at night after work. Amazing. So she, did hair. But then also my mother's younger brother, our uncle, 
he lived upstairs. I always love to tell it like this. My uncle lived upstairs with 10 cats, two dogs, two birds, a skunk, 150 fish, and his boyfriend, Charles. What? And he taught at the Catholic Grammar School next door. He was Mr. Collis, the art teacher, although everybody called him uncle. But he taught art, and then we had art classes going on upstairs. So we had the dancing school in the backyard, the beauty shop in the kitchen, the, the art classes going on, and then my uncle was also the neighborhood astrologist, and he ran a cat hospital on the roof. Oh, my God. This is like going to fame, the school. I know. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> it was crazy. It was like you can't take it with you. There were so many things going on in every room and people. And, and then I think, you know, people don't have big families anymore, and I think something's going to be missing because when you have a big family, you you don't have tantrums the way you do in small families. You just don't because it's like, oh, you want to you wanna act out and throw a tantrum? We'll do it in your bedroom because there's a party in the kitchen. Uh, do you know what I mean? Yes, it's I like do. They made it impossible for anybody to, to bitch about things because yeah. it was too much going on. Too much going on. And yeah. it, it share? Oh, my gosh. I don't know what it's like to, to drive in a car without somebody's foot in my face. Or, you know, it's like, you know, it's like so you, you had to share everything. You shared such a space. So you learn compromise. You learn sharing. You, you, you learn how to uh, um, uh, give over to somebody else if it's like their opinion. It's like take turns. You know, we had this thing in my house, and I do it with my boys, or I did it when they were little, and now I'm helping my brother raise his two kids. And we do it where the older gets a slight advantage. So it's like when it's an odd day, it's their day. And when it's the younger kid's day, it's an even day. That's a pretty smart idea because you could think about a lot of resentment could happen in a large family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, or even with two kids, with my boys, you know, it's like, all right, because this is a big deal, you know, when kids are little. Who's going to push the button for the elevator? Oh, Whose yeah. day is it? Yeah. You know, like, and then you learn to like take turns and everything. Else. So smart. I told you that story about the family because people would call the house and they would say, "We want you know two kids for the king and I, two kids for South Pacific." And I'd be, "Pick me, pick me," or th- or twelve kids for King and I. Pick me, pick. So I got involved with Chicago Theater. Ah. And, and I did a show when I was 15 years old at Hull House. It was a production of The Boyfriend. And there was a guy there who was you know, 10 years older than I was, but we became really good friends, and he was a real character. And two years later, he called me, and he said, uh, he said I've written this show. It may never get off the ground. We're going to perform it in a, in, a, in, a, in a converted trolley barn. I wrote it about the kids I went to high school with. It's called Grease. <laughs> so when I was... I was, you know, a senior in high school, I was introduced to Greece, and then I got four scholarships to go to the University of Chicago, so I left for, I mean, not left, I was in Chicago, so I went to University of Chicago. My father passed away the Christmas of senior year. I wanted to stay in, in town because of that, got into that school, which is such a great school, and uh, then started doing Greece. So I was, you know, college student by day, greaser by night on the weekends. And I did that show. And what then, are the odds of it being Greece? I know. How crazy. And I then mean. the show, when I'm a freshman, uh, um, yeah, freshman, I, well, it was starting freshman year, so sophomore year around then, they, they called me. They said, we want you to come and audition for the Broadway company. And I thought, it's not going to be a hit. In my head, I'm thinking, I'm not going to waste the time taking a trip to New York. You know, I have to go to school, blah, 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 blah. And then when I went to see it, I thought, oh, my gosh, they changed it so much. They made it not only a Chicago show. They made it sort of universal. They gave all these, you know, it was, we were, we were, the difference between Greece in the original production in Chicago and what the original Broadway company was like and then the movie is, I I don't want to say it's night and day because it's the exact same characters, but we were this tough gang of girls who wore black stockings and ripped their stockings and put razor blades in their hair. I mean, we were a gang of girls, like a Chicago gang of girls. And my mom didn't want to come to see it because I said F you in it seven times. (laughs) She said, I don't care if you take your clothes off. But I don't want to hear you swear. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that funny? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know if I could swear. But you anyway. You could swear, yes. Okay. So, wow, yeah. that is amazing. And it was it after college then that you decided, this is it. I'm in the business. No, it wasn't after college. I left. I was only going to do college in three years. And at the beginning of my third year, 
in November, I, I got a call from Jim Jacobs, my friend who wrote the show, the one from Community Theater. He said, uh, national company rehearsals start tomorrow, and if you come to New York, I know you'll get your part. I saved it for you, but you have to come to New York. And I said, oh, Jim, I have two papers due. I'm on my way to the library. <laughs> I'm in a relationship. I'm in a show, blah, 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 blah. I'm so sorry. And I hung up the phone. Now, I went to the library and realized, oh, my gosh, my car is parked in front of the library. And, and I never had a parking space that close, but it was kind of a sign from God. I mean, of course, I parked it the night before, so I knew. But I thought, hmm, maybe this is a sign. So I looked at my car, looked at the library, looked at my car, looked at the library, looked at my car, threw my books in the car, went to the airport, flew student standby uh, with the clothes I have on, and I auditioned for the National Company of Greece, and they said, you got it. Be here for the first rehearsal tomorrow. Wow. I know. That never happens. So I called my mother, and I said, I'm not at school. I'm this and that. And she said, oh, I'm so happy. I thought you wanted, maybe wanted to be a doctor or something. Oh. But she knew I wanted show business, you know. So, um, so I left, and I went to the first rehearsal the next day, and I met, playing all these parts, uh, Jeff Conaway was playing Danny in our company, and Jerry Zachs, who just directed Hello, Dolly, and I just read he's about to direct Music Man with, uh, with Hugh uh, Jackman. Um, he played Kinnicky. Michael Lembeck, who did the pilot for Everybody Loves Raymond, and he used to be, part of, he used to be the lead singer on Cool in the Gang, and he did a bazillion Friends. He was playing Sonny. Judy Kay, who's won all kinds of Tonys, she was playing Rizzo. Johnny Travolta, John Travolta was playing Duty, and rehearsing with us was Richard Gere, who was getting ready for the London Company. This is crazy! I know, but everybody was so young, everybody was like 24, I was 20, and it was just like, this is what's happening. But I don't want people to get the wrong idea, because that doesn't happen a lot. In fact, I think you say somewhere I read that you auditioned for over 40 commercials and didn't get any. Oh, absolutely. I, uh, you know, so now I'm in, well, I'm, I'm on the road with Greece. I go to, to New York to visit a friend. I walk into a theater. They said, are you here to audition for a show? And they said, I said, no. And they said, well, you're right for one of the parts. Get up on stage. I did. And then I got it. And it was my first Broadway show. So my first two jobs into show business were ridiculous. Nobody gets jobs like that. Nobody. And I don't even think it's possible these days. But because everything's so much more corporate. Yes. But I got my first two jobs like that. So then I start auditioning for commercials, and I audition for 40 commercials before I get one. And I think, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? My 40th commercial, a friend of mine calls me in, and he says, um, you know, I want you to audition. And I just said, oh, my friend, he, you know, and I was just myself. And he called me that night. He said, are you always like that at a commercial? And I said, no, no, I'm always trying to think of what they want. He said, don't. He said, that's why you're not getting them. He said, you didn't get this one because you were totally wrong. I just wanted wrong for it. I just wanted to see you. But we actually discussed changing the concept to, to, to be more like you. Oh. He, he said, but every time, go in there and just do your version. Don't, like, second guess what you would do. Just go in there and do it your way. And I think that's one of the hardest things to learn. And once I did, and I just always kind of put my own spin or rhythms or whatever on it, I booked 72 commercials. What? In a very short time. Yeah, I did everything. I did every kind of commercial you could possibly imagine. It's funny, I was just talking about this yesterday because I do a one-woman show, and I talk about the commercials. I did everything from... Um, from I, I did I was also a body parts model, so I did four Playtex bra commercials like Super Look Share, Super Look Share, and I did uh, two Playtex panties commercials. Oh no, no, the the bra commercials. It's got sash, sheer, and seamless support. The commercial, the uh, uh, panties commercial, where all you saw was my butt <laughs> and my crotch, walking my dog, walking around Lincoln Center, getting on a bus bowling, you know, it was pretty crazy. And then I was the Fruit of the Loom pantyhose girl inside of a giant apple with my legs sticking out. You know, I think I remember seeing that commercial. Yeah, that was me. Oh my gosh, that is amazing. So when did Taxi happen? Okay, so I'm in New York and I, you know, I've got this Broadway show and then I do, I do three Broadway shows. I do Over Here and then, uh, 
go back and forth between Greece and then do Pal Joey and back to Greece. And Greece is like going on an unemployment. Once you were kind of in that Greece fold, in between things, you'd go into Greece. And so I was just doing these commercials, and I booked this. And then I had a contract with um, CBS, so they were looking for a pilot for me. And then, oh, this is too long a story. But I mean, this is a really long story. I would not have gotten taxi. I would never have done taxi if I hadn't been in Rio with John Travolta, because we were dating at that point, if I hadn't been in Rio and there was, if there had been FedEx or fax, or I guess there would have to be fax. There wasn't even fax then. I, I was, I, you know, cause they offered me a part and I said, Oh, I can't do it without reading it, but I'll do it as a guest star. So I did, it was paper chase and I did it. At, I, they made me come home, which I was kind of pissed about. I went home and did that as a, and then they, I did it as a guest star then they gave me a pilot that was honoring my contract. That pilot didn't work, so I was free to like look for other things. But then Paper Chase tested, and I tested higher than anybody else. They said, wait, we don't have her under contract anymore? And they said, no, because the thing that honored her contract was over here. So it was great because I loved Taxi, and I was really wrong for it. I was, two, I was 10 years younger than what they wanted. Yeah, but you received a bunch of accolades for your role, including Golden Globe. Yeah, five. So five come on. Nomination. Oh, I'm thrilled. Are you kidding me? They changed it for me. Instead of a 16-year-old daughter, they gave me two little kids. No, no. Are you kidding me? Taxi's like the crown jewel, and we all feel that way. I see those guys all the time. I was with Tony a couple weeks ago. I talked to Danny. I'm having lunch with Jim Brooks on Friday. I mean, I I'm see taking them. Tracy Danza out tomorrow night for her birthday dinner. So, oh, yeah. Give her my love. Give her a big hug and kiss for me. I love her so much. She's the best, isn't she? Now, did you also have a romance with Tony? Oh, are you kidding? First day, we knew that was going to happen. <laughs> Please. I come out after the first read-through, and he's out on the Paramount, you know, grass area, and he's got his shirt off, and I went, "Mm mm-hmm. No, and he says the same thing. Oh, no, we knew. We knew, and within, like, you know, two, three weeks, we had a little romance going, but I also knew that once Tony got on television... No way was he going to, you know, be a real boyfriend. Right. So, and I've always been like a real girlfriend kind of person. I was never the kind of girl to like sleep around, even though it sounds like it because I had affairs with two of the guys on my show. Judd Hirsch was the other one, yes. yes? But he was later. He's a little bit later. Yeah. And that's a funny story, too. But anyway, uh, yeah, Tony and I, but then before the show even went on the air, we both said, you know, you go have your fun at El Provado and, you know, whatever. And what was it like with John Travolta? I just adore that man. Oh, he's great. But we've known each other since we were teenagers, so that makes a big difference. We both had big families. We both come from six kids. His mother uh, taught drama. My mother taught dance. His father sold tires. My father sold cars. How long did you date? We, on and off for 13 years. What? Yeah, we lived together for a while. Was that during the time that he was with that lovely woman who passed away? I forget her name right now. No, Diana Highland. Diana Highland. No, uh, before and then sometime after. Wow, 13 years, but you never wanted to get married, huh? But in and out, in and out. I mean, I had a lot of, you know, romances, so did he in between. Yeah. And he was brutal. We were like friends. We were like, we were like family. You know, our families were so similar. We both have three sisters and two brothers. We have a lot of... In Our common, a lot of things very, in common. Very, very similar. He what had ab- you know, dance, cl- I mean, I have drama classes in his house. So, what know. about when you did the evening shade with Burt Reynolds? Anything there? Well, first of all, that was my fifth time working with him, and I'm sure it was because we never did have a romance that I did work with him ah! five times. <laughs> no, I met Burt. Oh my gosh, the first time I met Burt, we had instant chemistry on the set of Man Who Loved Women, uh, The Man Who Loved Women, and. He was so much fun, and we improved so much, and we have very similar senses of humor. We feed off of each other well. And Blake Edwards made my part so much bigger than it was supposed to be because he just loved what was happening between Bert and me. So that first night that I met him, the very, very first night that I met Bert Reynolds, he... Um, I could throw dates at you like crazy, but I won't. Wait, I won't we're gonna we're gonna talk about your brain in just a minute. <laughs> yeah, but but anyway, so he um, so Bert called me that night and he said, "I want you to do a show down at my dinner theater, and I want you to be in a movie with me, Cannibal Run 2. So 
so that's how much we connected, and it was so great. I mean, he's he was just remarkable. I mean, just you've worked man. with the greatest people. You've had the best gigs. You just got off Broadway again doing Getting the Band Back Together. You've so hosted your own talk show. You've danced on Dancing with the Stars, My Dream. You're the uh, queen of Hallmark. You've been on Celebrity Apprentice. You've written many books. I mean, it's endless with you. Well, you know, when you know my background, you know why I have to do a lot of different things. Well, let's you know talk about let's talk about the brain. <laughs> so you're one of the few people who have a highly superior auto a biographical memory basically total recall you mm-hmm. remember specific details of virtually every day of life since you're a kid what do they call that they call it HSAM, highly superior autobiographical memory they don't call it hyperthymesia anymore because they felt like it sounded like a disease and they don't think of it as a disease at all they think of it as maybe a condition or something, is it a burden a is it a burden never? oh my gosh no it might stock answer is it's never a burden for me. Never. In fact, I can't even imagine not having it. It's only a burden for my husband, which is why I probably had three of them. You know, <laughs> you know what? You can't have a fight with you because you will remember every detail. Oh, excuse there me, is. but he still tries to like <laughs> correct me, and I'm give it up, Michael. Come on, stop embarrassing yourself. You must be kidding me. Don't take me on in this field. <laughs> no, others. just last week. Just last week we had a thing, and I said. Literally, I literally said that to him. No, no, you. Oh, that's not the order that it happened in at all. And, and whenever I hear "mi amore," you know, my husband uh, is from uh, uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and we knew each other at the University of Chicago. But he uh, lived in Brazil for for um, ten years, and his his family, his, his kids are half Brazilian and everything, and his first wife's Brazilian. Whenever I hear the "mi amore." Or maybe that's more Spanish. I don't know. Whenever I hear that, I know it's like I'm moving into territory where I better shut up because we're just going to have a fight. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now He's caught and doesn't know how to backpedal. How it. old were you when you first realized that you had this uh, uh, gift? Well, as a little, you know, first of all, six brothers and sisters, you look for anything that distinguish you, d- distinguishes you from the others. You know, you want to have something that's really like yours and as a little girl, I would fall asleep and say, okay, what did I do a week ago? What did I do a year ago? What did I do when I was exactly my brother Lauren's age? What did I do? And I was so good at this, and people would come over to the house, and I'd say, oh, yeah, remember when you were here on, you know, September 7th, and that kind of thing, you know. And people, they'd say, what's with this kid and her memory? This is crazy. And I'd say, and they'd say, you know, to my parents, and I'd say, no, she's our memory girl. That's our memory kid. She's our little univac. You know, if you want to remember something, tell it to Mary Lou. She's the family historian. When did they figure out that uh, it was much more than that? Well, to tell you the truth, when the whole 60 Minutes thing came apart, uh, came about, because I had no idea it was that rare. I figured a lot of people had it. Well, there was only like six of you, right? Yes, the original six. One yeah. of them passed away. But this woman had come forward, Jill Price, and they did all this testing on her, and they uh, offered, what happened was Leslie Stahl was offered the story. Now, Leslie's a friend of mine, and when she was offered the story, she turned it down because... Um, she said, hey, it's not that rare. She's not the only one. My friend Mary Lou Henner has the exact same memory. And nobody believed her. So she took me out to lunch with her, uh, with her you know, uh, producers. And they're, you know, so when did we meet? So when did this happen? So when, and I'm naming off dates. And then Sherry Finkelstein, the uh, producer, she said that she had gotten married on uh, June 15th, 1998. And I said, oh, really? Why did you get married on a Monday? That's so unusual. She's like, oh, my gosh, she has it. <laughs> so they turned the story down. And then three years later, because that lunch was September 20th, 19, uh, 2006, uh, when, she turned, uh, when she, they turned the story down of Jill Price, but then three years later called me and said, it is rare. We're going to interview you, put you on camera, being tested, and we're doing a whole story on it. Unbelievable. I watched that 60 Minutes. That's when I learned about it. We're going to take a quick second break here, and we'll be right back with Mary Lou Henner.
worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, we're back and uh, we're talking about uh, Mary Lou's fantastic large brain (laughs) that allows her to uh, remember every detail, virtually every detail from every day of her life. So much so that you actually use this when you start on CBS's Unforgettable, right? Well, I, I became a consultant on Unforgettable because they came to me, of course. I was in New York. I mean, I was in L.A., and they were shooting in New York. So I worked with the writing staff here and gave them some ideas. And so, you know, they were... I mean, it's funny because they would get things wrong in the script. So they sent me all the scripts so I could correct them. Uh, Like, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, The two characters, uh, you know, Poppy Montgomery uh, and, and Dylan... Well, he they had a relationship in the past, so they start talking about a party that they went to the weekend. They were away for the weekend of of July sixteenth of of nineteen ninety nine, right? So they're reminiscing about this party, and they call they they sent me the script, and I said, you can definitely talk about that weekend, but just so you know, the first thing I thought of was that was when uh, John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane went down. So there's no way Carrie wouldn't recall that in the discussion about that weekend. Unbelievable. Because that was on television all the time. So, you know, the yeah. Whole. So you were keeping them in, in current status, if you will. Yes. And with and keeping them, you know, like what somebody with this memory thinks of when they think of certain dates. And is it easy to memorize your lines? Well, that's two-dimensional, and yes, it is, and I tested, uh, they tested me on every kind of memory thing you can possibly imagine. I was there for 11 hours. What'd they find? What'd they testing. find? How is, your bra- how is your brain different than mine? Okay, they took 300 measurements of my brain, and they do this for everybody that has this, and they found nine areas 10, time lar- 10 times larger than the normal brain. And we all had it. All the people who really have it, I think they've relaxed some of the standards, because you can't just do research on six people or 20 people. Um, so I don't know about the other people. I shouldn't even say that. But but there were 300 measurements and nine areas, 10 times larger. Wow. But I is... loved it. I had so much fun that day. I was like levitating. I was vibrating. I thought, ask me more questions. Ask me more questions. It's so, so. great. Well, are you afraid, though, that in time with age that it could possibly diminish? What if dementia sets in? God forbid. Are you worried about that at all? Well, first, it's funny you're asking that because somebody said, what, what happens when you turn into, you know, what, what happens if that, or she said, uh, into one of, you know, uh, like, then you just become a muggle like the rest of us. <laughs> somebody <laughs> said, I said, no, I said, I don't know. I can't imagine anything worse than losing my, my memory, of course. Um, but I, I, what's funny is because I'm asked about memory all the time. In some ways, I'm exercising it more than I might have at this stage of my life. You know, if it hadn't been for 60 minutes, I don't know. I mean, I'm asked about memory every single day. You know what's funny? I'll tell you where it has its most impact. At the airport, when I'm going through TSA, or I'm in just walking. The airport, for some reason, everybody in the airport that I ever run into has seen that 60 minutes. Everyone, <laughs> seriously, everyone knows me from 60 minutes. And what's funny is the pe- 60 minutes people said to me, you're going to be, become more well-known for this than you were for taxi, for your health books, or anything else. That is the craziest thing. Now, you do give tips that you have for improving memories, yes? Right. I do all the time. Could you name five tips for us? Sure. Okay. First of all, I really do believe that everyone has a primary track on which they uh, have it, you know, that it, it, a primary check, track on which they've it, adhered their memories. You know, it's like in the jigsaw puzzle of your life, what are the hard-edged pieces by which you can connect your other memories to? Everyone has a primary track, and it's, it could be anything from places you've lived to places you've traveled, sports, that's a big one. Guys will forget 
their wife's birthday, but they won't forget a game from 30 years ago and who was playing and what the score was and what they were eating. It is amazing. It's amazing. So everyone has this primary check. I mean, you know, it's funny. I was talking about this when I was working on my book, and Phil Rosenthal is a good friend of mine. And I said to him at this dinner party, I said, so, Phil, is it scripts? Is it Raymond scripts that's your primary track? Do you remember all the Raymond scripts in order? He said, no, it's food. I remember every meal I've ever had. You know, and now he's got this fabulous show, you know, Somebody Feed Phil and everything else of what Phil's eating. I mean, what? So that's what you it. mean by the track. The track. Like, what's. What's the thing that you remember most in your life? And I don't care what kind of memory you say you have. People are always saying, I have the worst memory. I have the worst memory. I say, you remember something especially well. What is your primary track? So I really do believe that that's a given. Okay. And then I also believe that everyone has a dominant sense. Everyone is a sight, sound, touch, taste, or smell person. And when you can figure out what your dominant sense is, and you cross-connect it with your primary track, you can figure out how you receive, retain, and then retrieve memories. Because the truth of the matter is, we just happen to have an extraordinary retrieval system. Most, everything you've ever been through is on your emotional hard drive, and it makes you behave in certain ways without your even realizing it. So let you me know, ask you this, though. Um, most b- people say that you only use a teeny, weeny, weeny bit of your brain. Is it that you're using more of your brain than we are? I don't know, because, you know, it's hard to do a whole qualitative thing. I don't know how... I, I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing, though. This, this was a very, very, very sad statistic to me. When I started in this whole memory thing of really, you know, figuring out memory and talking to people about memory and being examined and blah, 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 the thing that was most shocking to me is that if I name any year in most people's lives, they can only give me 8 to 11 events that happened within that year. How many can you do? Oh, I scored like, I'm like in the 200 plus, 300, 360, I mean, it's like crazy. That's every day. Every day. Yeah. Wow. No, I mean, so that's what I mean, that it's like, you know, some memories come up faster than others. Some, people, some things are like, oh, this is immediate, but they all come up eventually. I can put on uh, something on my, iP- you know, on my phone and do a walk, do a couple miles walk, and, and, oh, this album is from this year, and then I'll go through all the days of that year, you know, and just go one right after the other. So it's something I love to exercise anyway. It's like time travel for me, and also it's kind of meditative. Like if I'm having trouble falling asleep, I'll say, okay, what was I doing when I was exactly to the day as old as my my two sons, who are 23 and 24? You know, and you can just recall. It's unbelievable to me. Okay, so we got two tips. Let's get a couple more. Okay, all right. Yeah, all right. So this is what I say. Once you realize what your primary track is and what your dominant sense is, play to your strengths. Let's say you know your dominant sense is uh, is visual. You know, you're a, a sight person. Yes. At some point in the day, take a photograph. Like, oh, this is the picture of the day. Take this picture. And then don't look, take a picture every single day, and at the end of the month, don't look at the pictures, put it in a special file, don't look at the pictures, but just say, try to remember, like, hmm, what did I, okay, let me think of how, where, what, was, what was one of the pictures, oh yeah, that time I went to the farmer's market, and there were all these little kids, you know, singing and dancing with the drums and stuff, if you go to the one in Hollywood, um, you know, or some kind of thing. Oh, the, when I went to MoMA or when I went to this or I, when I did that, you know, and it's like the picture of the day. Because I think what's happened, truthfully, Lisa, is we've all gotten so lazy. I agree. We've gotten lazy. And there's we're, Google now, so we can Google everything. It's terrible. You know, <laughs> when my kids were little, they'd ask me something. I'd say, come on, use your brain. That was like one of the things I said all the time. My boys are very smart. I'd say... Uh, use your brain, and I'd make them look it up, or I'd make them go, you know, do whatever they had to, and you couldn't find everything on Google. Google wasn't around then. Right. Because they were 23 and 24, and I, you know, so. But anyway, it's like so, what's amazing is that we've gotten lazy, 
We don't remember any phone numbers. We probably remember our phone number from childhood. That's so funny that you say that about phone numbers, because I was thinking, not that this is going to happen, God forbid, but I was thinking, you know, what are you going to do if you go to jail? You're going to have to have your phone's going to be taken away. How are you going to know your your lawyer's number? You better remember your lawyer's number. You better remember something. Yes. (laughs) You better remember something. So we've gotten lazy. We've also gotten very, very, very unconscious. I mean, there was a woman literally walking in New York recently, walking on her phone, and she bumped it. A bus was stopped. She walked smack into the bus and then, like, was startled for a second and then walked around the bus at the stoplight and continued on her phone. My New Year's resolution was I'm never looking at my phone or texting if I'm walking. Because if you spend any time in New York, I was there for eight months last year, just got back in January and then went to Vancouver. But if like, you spend any time in New York, you realize everybody's bumping into each other on the street and sometimes in the middle of the crossway. <laughs> it's pretty it's crazy. crazy. It is pretty crazy. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm just, I, I love you to death. Uh, and I know someone else who does your husband because tell the story how you saved this man's life. With, oh, and well, I want you to talk about your books and, and what you're doing in the world of health. Okay. Well, first of all, I decided after my parents died, I told you I wanted to change my life. So I did. And the very first book I wrote, well, the first book was kind of an autobiography, but then I was asked to write a health book because I was already working with a lot of people. So I decided that the 10 steps I took to change my life, I would write about them. So I was literally, I was doing the Broadway show Chicago at the time, and I was giving lectures in between uh, shows on matinee days to, you know, some of the people in the show, and I'd make these tapes and then continue getting ready, going like, as I'm putting on eyelashes, talking into a little microphone, going, the evils of dairy products, you know, as I'm tapping down my eyelashes and stuff. <laughs> and then I was so revved up from all that fossy that I'd go to an office afterwards and work with somebody who who would transcribe everything, and it fashioned itself into a book while I was doing the show. And the the show closed, I, or I left it, you know, my contract was over, time to come home, and the book... Uh, came out and it changed my life. I, it went on the New York Times bestseller list and started a whole nother career for me. So so I started writing many more books and there have been 10 altogether. But the story about my husband is probably the most <clears throat> heartfelt. Talk about the husband because this, <laughs> husband. Is to, this to me is the <clears throat> most beautiful story. Thank you so much. Okay, so um, my husband and I knew each other in college. He was actually my college roommate's boyfriend. And, you know, I mean, she even, uh, we took her on that well-worn path to Billings Hospital so she could lose her virginity to this guy, you know, get birth control pills to lose her virginity. <laughs> and there'd be a yellow ribbon tied around the door when we weren't supposed to come in. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, but I always had like a secret, I didn't dare twinkle in his direction. I totally respected their relationship. But I always thought he was this great guy, this great guy. And we were we were in a physics class together, and we'd walk back to campus, and we just got along so well. We were like friends. So they break up second year. I wave across campus because he's the enemy now, but that's it. Then I leave third year to 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 become a professional actress. So now <clears throat> I'm in taxi. I'm doing taxi. My second season of taxi. I um I get involved with. Uh, um, I end up meeting and getting married to my first husband, Frederick Forrest. So this was so crazy because we both come from Texas and Chicago and we've lived in New York and California. But there happened to be this special that weekend because we decided to get married and three weeks later we got married. There was a special that weekend on trips to um, New Orleans. So we send 66 friends and family members, hotel vouchers and tickets, and say, meet us in New Orleans for the weekend. So the day before, I, you know, like the Friday before we get married, I'm in a courthouse in New Orleans going, this is probably the biggest mistake of my life. <laughs> it's just so crazy. But I feel like sometimes, you, sometimes you're at a crossroads in your life and you think like, I just have to walk through this tunnel. If I don't, I'm just going to stagnate here. So even if it's the wrong decision, it's a decision, and it'll manifest itself as the wrong decision soon enough rather than five years from now. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because you'll just, like, be stuck on that same spot. So I'm sitting there, and I look out the doorway for a split second, and all of a sudden, Michael Brown from the University of Chicago walks past the doorway looking straight ahead, and 
uh, doesn't even look in my little room. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's Mike Brown from the University of Chicago. This is crazy. So I run out, and then I say to Freddie, I'll be right back. I run out, and I say, Michael, what are you doing here? And he says, uh, oh, I'm, I'm just cutting through the building. I'm living here now with my wife and two kids. I'm a merchant seaman. Uh, I've been in Brazil, blah, blah, blah. We sort of catch up. I said, well, I'm getting married. I'm getting a license right now. And, you know, it, it's, I mean, yeah. So, wow. you know, do you want to come chills. to the wedding? It's on Sunday. And he's saying, oh, yeah. I, I said, give me your phone number. You know, <clears throat> I have a good memory. And he said, oh, yeah, I know about that from school and everything else. Anyway, so I don't call him because I feel like, Oh my gosh! If if my soon to be ex husband sees Michael, he'll have a fit, and we won't even get married. So <laughs> even if he brings his wife, so I thought, okay, so I don't call him. So now twenty two years go by, and I'm getting a divorce from my second husband. And um, six months after the divorce is final, out of nowhere, Michael calls me, and I'm thinking oh, my gosh, where did this come from? And he had gotten my number because someone had seen me in Chicago, or the Broadway show Chicago, um, and he had my number, and he had stayed close to Michael. So, you know, my heart is pounding as I call him back. I'm thinking, is he looking for Linda, the roommate? You know, and we make a plan for two weeks from now, and then all of a sudden our plans change, and we both can get together the following weekend. So I'm thinking, is this going to be a reunion dinner, a date, a reunion dinner, a date? So... And suffice it to say, the first four and a half hours was sitting in a restaurant asking each other, like, well, what's, you know, what's, what's really important to you now in your life and relationships? Because you want to get all that. And why did your relationships break up and blah, blah, blah. And then the next four and a half hours was making out in my kitchen because I had like a little couch area. <laughs> so within a week, we're saying, I love you. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together. And two months into our relationship, he's diagnosed with stage two, three bladder cancer. Oh. So people were saying, wait, you've been dating this guy two months? Bail. He's going to die. And I said, no, 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 no. I'm glad I got him when I did because I can help save his life, you know. <clears throat> so he, um, we go, I said to him, I'm going to take you to my doctors, you know, Dr. Kalsa and all the people that I know. We're going to get a whole protocol together for you. But before we do that, let's go see the typical bladder guy. So we go to see somebody who's like Mr. Bladder Cancer. And he literally looks at us and says, this is your lucky day. And we say, well, well why? He said, because, um, because I have a cancellation on Wednesday. doesn't even look at Michael's chart. He says, I have a cancellation on Wednesday. We're going to go in. We're going to take out the bladder. We're going to take out the prostate. Oy. We're going to, uh, um, uh, you know, take, take out the bladder, take out the prostate. Oh, we're going to pull down a piece of your intestines and make a neobladder, and you have to drain it out. He said, but don't worry if you two want to have sex. We're going to run a small hose up his penis, and you can pump it up six times. Oh. And I said, I would have oh. ran out of there so fast. I, I, I said, oh, can we have the seven-pump model? Because we're a sexy couple. And I said, what about, what about nutrition and health? And he, he says, oh, go have all the steak and highballs you want. Then we'll do chemo radiation. It's like, oh, my gosh. So Michael, we say, okay, goodbye, goodbye. And uh, we'll let you know about Wednesday. So Michael says to me in the parking lot, he said, um, I'm not losing my organs. I said, I don't think you have to. So anyway, to make a very long story short, we got into a protocol. He did BCG. It didn't work the first time, but he went through major, major detox. And then in all the testing that he did, they also found lung cancer, two primary sites, uh, one, uh, you know, one, uh, you know, lung cancer, they weren't connected, but it's funny. This is how, you know, you're in the cancer swirl. Any caretaker out there, I'm, you can relate to what I'm about to say. Any person who's been through cancer or any caretaker out there, when Michael called me and told me they found a spot on his lung and he was living way down in Pal- uh, um, uh, Palos Verdes at the time. And I'm, I'm driving on a Friday night, so you have to know how much I love him because it's like an hour and 45 minutes away. But the whole time I'm driving, I'm saying to myself, please just be lung cancer. Please just be lung cancer. Please just be lung cancer because you don't want it to be metastasized bladder cancer. Correct. You know, and that's how into the cancer world you get as a caretaker and, and as a patient. I mean, I learned so much about cancer that year. Anyway, suffice it to say, Michael went through major, major detox. 
his never came back, and he's 15 years in remission now, almost 15 and a half years in remission. Yeah, she's about five years after the third one now. Yeah, he went through total detox. He went completely vegan. He did everything from lymphatic massages and high colonics and chelation therapy and got rid of the uh, mercury fillings in his teeth. I mean, he went crazy, and he just did all these supplements and, and hydration, major hydration, and, and just really focused, focused. Uh, he ended up, because of where the lung cancer was, they were able to just go into the side and remove. It. He was very lucky, very lucky that it was bronchial alveolar, if you know anything about lung cancer. It's, this, it's very slow growing and grows like a spider web rather than non-small cell or some of the other, you know, small cells and oat cells and all the other, you know, they spore all over, or they're, they're the, the very scary lung cancers he didn't have. So they were able to go and scoop it out, and that was it. And, and you they, saved his life as far as I'm concerned. Oh, totally. And he says that. He says it. Now, we go to write the book many years later about this love story, and I wanted to kill him. And I said to him, <laughs> I said to him, thank God you don't have the cancers now because I don't know if I'd be saving you as quick as, oh. as thoroughly. Oh my gosh. You know, there's nothing like a husband who after, I've written nine books and now he's, Oh, well, I think we should, you know, I, I was writing a how to health book and he was writing old man in the sea. You know, like, <laughs> Two different books. <laughs> two different books. So finally we just had to say my version, his version, my version. And they go back and forth. Okay. Well, but, it worked all. It worked, it out. worked out. Yeah. Now we have a very sparky, fun, you know, we're so different. I keep saying no one would ever match us up on Match.com or something or Tinder or Bumble or any of those, but there's something about us that just works. It's That's amazing. a fact. All right, so as we wrap this up, I'd like you, if you could, to tell us what the key to longevity is in this business and what's left on your bucket list because oh, you've okay. done it all. But I, didn't, I, I have two more tips for you guys. Oh, please. All right, so the memory tips. All right, so you have to, so, you know, if you, or do a sound check or something like that. What the important thing is to improve the 8 to 11 events within a given year. And one of the ways to do it, too, is when you're brushing your teeth at night, and everybody's supposed to do it for two, for two minutes, when you're brushing your teeth at night, what you should do is scroll through your day. That second time through will make something sticky. Like what is, what's important about today? You know, what was worth remembering? Because it, otherwise it's lost, you know. This is what I feel. I feel like if all we do is we wake up, we live our lives, we turn off the light, we go to sleep. We wake up, we live our lives, we turn off the light, we go to sleep. And nothing has moved forward. What does it all mean? Right. So to me... Working on your autobiographical memory, it's really your strongest line of defense against meaninglessness that we have. I'm totally going to do that tonight when I'm brushing my teeth. That is a terrific tip. Brush your teeth, think about your day, and then go maybe in your, your phone. or There's no excuse not to put something down someplace. Put three bullet points or one bullet point, one, bu- one bullet point a day of what the day taught you or you, want, you would love to remember or what's worth remembering, whatever, and then don't look at it till, you know, or look at it, sort of train yourself because it's, it's, it's also routine, it's memory, it's exercise, you know, and, and check after a week and then check after two weeks and see how much you remember from the week before. It's just we've gotten so lazy. Our memories, I swear, are getting worse. They're getting worse. I believe you. Totally. Yeah. And your last tip? Uh, um, Well, the the one about brushing the teeth. Love that. And the the one about putting down the bullet point. You know, that's, I think, very important. And also brain food. Remember this. What is brain food? Okay, brain food, first of all, leafy greens, unbelievable. I was just on Hallmark today, the Hallmark Home and Family, and I did a salad that had... Um, uh, leafy greens. I had spinach and arugula, avocado, uh, red onion, and sunflower seeds. And all of those have different properties that are really great for your brain. So, I mean, my kids, one of their first foods was avocado when they were eight months. That's my and favorite, avocado. Oh, my gosh. We're so lucky that we can get it here all year round. Yeah. They're, they're a, a little expensive now, food. but they're, they're yeah, good. Yeah, because they know. 
as soon as, as soon as everybody knows how much people want it, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So brain food, because and remember this: I spoke in front of I've spoken in front of Congress eight times now on different subjects, but one of them is I was there last September for with us against Alzheimer's about getting more funding for Alzheimer's because this is such a crisis. There's no cure. There's not even like sort of a cure or something that can really help people yet, and. It's something that's going to affect all of our lives within the next 10 years. Everybody's going to be affected by it somehow. I agree. It's, it's terrible. It's, uh, it's horrible what's happening to our brains. So everybody listen to her and eat your leafy greens. <laughs> leafy greens for sure. <laughs> but it's, I keep saying, and you know what else? This is something that a lot of people don't talk about. I started talking about this 10 years ago, and now people are starting to. Your teeth are the gateway to so many things. And plaque on your teeth, plaque on your heart, plaque on your brain. Oh, it's boy. all connected. They finally came up with, they finally realized that. And so that's very important. So dental health is also extremely important. Um, my brother asked uh, the dentist, my brother Lauren asked his dentist, do I have to floss all my teeth? Every-? He says, no, just the ones you want to keep. Ah! Like, <laughs> which is a great thing to remember. That's the best. <laughs> I know. Just the ones you want to keep. <laughs> yeah, just the ones you want to keep. Okay, that's really great advice. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. For I sure. love that. All right, okay. so what's the key to longevity? So longevity. In this okay, there's a couple of keys. One of them that I always say, and it's kind of my mantra motion is the lotion. Motion is the lotion. You've got to move. You know, your cat stretches, you get a hamster wheel, you walk your dog. We're this beautiful human animal, and we don't move enough. And you see it as people are getting older. They don't articulate their feet. They plop them down rather than walking through their foot. And that's going to, pro- uh, that's going to cause so many problems. I swear to God, I want to go to the mall and do mall makeovers and watch people walk and say, oh, my gosh, your life could be so much better if you improve your posture. Because if you wear out your body, where are you going to live? You know, and you, people are getting so tired in their bodies. Their posture is terrible, and it's just weighing them As down. As you're saying that, I'm like leaning. I'm pulling my torso up. I'm <laughs> sitting up straight. <laughs> yeah. Well, think of it. I always say it this way because this is like a funny thing. Um, think of it as ears over shoulders, and think of your head as a bowling ball on a stack of plates, your neck. You know, it's like your ears over shoulders, bowling ball on a stack of plates. So if you, I, I, when I do a speech, because I go all over the country speaking, at some point I'll go, okay, freeze, freeze, and everybody will freeze. And I say, if this were Pompeii and the lava came in right now, is this the posture you would want to have be remembered by the rest of, you know, <laughs> through all eternity? And everybody kind of straightens up. I said, so every once in a while while you're sitting with the computer or your phone or whatever, or watching television, I say, do the Pompeii posture check. I like it. Yeah. And so really, you know, so it's movement. It's, it's really, you know, it's something I'm working on right now. It's something uh, writing about right now. It's, it's like there's the physical, there's the emotional there's the chemical, you know, and it's like so many things that we are. The chemical is the food, the emotional is how we feel, and the physical is how we move in space in this world. And if something is off, something's really off. It affects the other two things, you know. It's so I many imagine. people, I walk around and I go, that poor person, they look like they're just digesting a bad lunch. Oh. You know, yeah, I sure do. All right, you've done everything. You just said you're in the midst of writing a new book. What's left on the bucket list? Mm, let me think. Because last year somebody asked me that, or two years ago, and I said, "Oh, I have to originate." Even though I'd been on Broadway already six times, I said, mm, "I want to originate a, a Broadway role and end up on a cast album." And I got to you do did that, that last year, which is so great. Yeah, last year. I mean, I was never on a cast album before because I mean, I was, but not with a solo song. You know what? I, what I'm really like hoping for this year. I want to do a really great dramatic piece because I started that way in a, in, before Taxi. But I want to do something dramatic, either on really dramatic on stage or in a film. Well, that's you know, fantastic. And, yeah. you, and you should and you will. Yeah. yeah and I, oh, I've done television movies like that. Remember when all the women in Jeopardy films were very popular. And the first movie I, you know, one of the first movies I did was a film called Blood Brothers with, with my buddy Richard Gere. And that was very dramatic. So I want to get back to that side of it because i think people you know it's like i i do so many different things that when people think of me they think of me more in comedy you know like on the neighborhood i'm having so much fun on that that show was such a blast to do and you, are you still doing it 
Well, I'm not doing it like week after week, but I'm probably going to do more next year. Oh, such well, a fun character! I love any time I can turn on a TV and see Mary Lou Henner. Oh, thank you! I, I love really you, Lisa. Do. You're the best. All right, give out your social media so people can follow your fabulous world. Okay, it's I'm at the real Mary Lou M A R I L U. My assistant did that years ago. I would change it to my name because it's always so much easier to find people. But it's at the real Mary Lou. And your website. Uh, MaryLou.com, but I'm not as as into the website right now. I'm much more on Twitter. I live on Twitter. Much more than everywhere else. Well, I like I like the ticker tape. I like the uh, headlines. It's like headlines, and it's fast. It is. I like I like Twitter as well. Twitter and Instagram are. I'm into mm-hmm. those two. Those are my two favorites. Well, yes. when you're freed up, I know you're you've been away and you you're you're busy as a bee. But I'd love to see you and have dinner. And oh my gosh, yes! Thank I, you for such a fun time. This I is great. I adore you, and thank you so much for taking uh, your time to be with us today. Okay, sweetie. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.